0: This is Young People Giving Adults Advice,
1: Season Two.
0: Hello, thanks for joining us for Season Two of the Young People Giving Adults Advice podcast. Tristan here, editor and co-producer, and in this episode, Leonie chats with Gabby and Natanya. They talk about their past, present and future studies and plans as we and a few more pieces of advice to the young people giving adults advice list.
2: Gabby and Natanya, thank you so much for joining me. What fun. Could we maybe start by you introducing yourselves, maybe Gabby first, and maybe just tell me a little bit about how old you are, the industries you're interested in, and the journey so far.
0: Yeah, so my name is Gabby. I'm 20 years old. i currently... Studying nursing, and I'm very interested in working in the health industry. Previously, I've worked in the automotive industry as an apprentice mechanic. I did that for about twelve months, and then decided that wasn't where my journey was going to be, and decided to pursue nursing instead.
2: Wow, there's a lot of questions I have already, but let's uh, let's hear from <laughs> Natalia. <laughs> Hello,
1: um, my name is Natalia, and I'm 21. I am also currently studying nursing and I guess I just have a real joy and passion for just working with people, um, communicating with people and um, wanting to hear people's stories. One thing that I really enjoy is taking film photos and just being able to get to know people, even strangers, um, and hear their stories and
2: yeah, just what
1: their lives are like.
2: Yeah, beautiful. I had a look at your Instagram actually. Are those film shots? Yeah, a bunch of them are film shots and... It's just really fun for me. I really enjoy it. Very nice. And Gabby, can you tell me how you ended up going from being an apprentice mechanic into nursing?
0: I was actually, um, when I was doing my apprenticeship, I was working about 60 hours a week. There were 12-hour days, Monday to Friday, and I was getting very, very burnt out, and that was only 12 months into it. And then during the summer break, that year, um, around Christmas, I went and took a trip to Vanuatu and one of our family members got injured, had to go into the hospital and I sort of got to see what that hospital and healthcare system was like. And I decided I wanted to work with people and help people and in my own way, hopefully improve the healthcare system. So um, I decided... Instead of working with cars and not being, I guess, appreciated <laughs> in the industry, in, um, in a male-dominated industry, I decided I might as well help people and, I guess, in my own way, help myself and make myself happy by doing what I truly wanted to do.
2: Yeah, amazing. And so when you look back now over your life, do you, do you think, of course, that's what I wanted to do? Or did you need to go through that journey?
0: I needed to go through that journey because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew that after high school, I didn't want to keep studying. So I just decided I'll just do an apprenticeship, get my education and get paid at the same time. But then by going through that, I realized that's not what I wanted to do.
2: Yeah. And you haven't done your, what do you call it? Is it an internship when you go and actually work in the hospital?
0: So it's not really an internship. You are still a uni student and you're just going through placement essentially, so you're still a nursing student, so you're not really having to do anything that's out of your capacity um, as a nursing student, so you're not really an intern. You're just, I don't know, Natanya, could you (laughs) word it a
1: little bit better than I can? So, pretty much with nursing placements it's completely different where they're not paid and we go through maybe two three or four weeks at a time and we pair up with another registered nurse who then will help us and guide us and everything that we do is sort of like under their care and in that I guess we get to learn what it's like to be on the job um, but it is it is different to internships where they give you full responsibility But as a student, you're Mm. still buddying up with other nurses.
2: At what stage in your study do you do the placement? From the beginning. So you've both had an opportunity because I know, Natanya, you've just finished a placement, is it?
1: Yeah, just finished four weeks at a
2: paediatric ward. How was that?
1: It was really good. It was definitely really tiring, I guess, having morning shifts for four weeks is quite draining Um, even like the nurses were saying like they would never do four weeks straight of morning shifts but it was really nice to be able to experience that and see just what it's like because every ward and every hospital is very different Um, and in this way like i was able to spend a lot of time with like young patients and especially like communicating with their parents Um, and just being able to see what it's like um, for this hospital as well And just the different like illnesses that come up or like lots of different fractures, things like that. And just seeing how I can even personally improve on my own communication and how I can better understand um, patients and yeah, just how to be a good nurse. So it it was a good experience. So what were some of the mistakes you made? I feel like as a student, there isn't too much leeway to make mistakes because everything you do is always double checked with your nurse and so I think it's like a really good thing because then even if I feel uncomfortable or if I feel like I'm like out of my depth I can just tell them that and they will um be understanding and be like okay let's go through it or let's run through it first
2: yeah and Gabby have you had similar experiences to what Natania's is talking about
0: Um, So I did two placements. Last year I went to an aged care facility for about two weeks and then I did another two weeks at a GP centre because that was my first year. I didn't really get to do much. I was sort of just following the RN most of the time or the AINs at the aged care facility. So I was just helping them out with things like personal care, showering Doing
2: really basic things, but I guess it's enough to see that it's what you want to do and give you the exposure.
0: It gave me that. That exposure gave me a new perspective on what it's like for people who have those experiences in their daily lives. Like it's it's such a stark difference when you're at an aged care facility. You really get to see that these older people. Um, really can't do much inside the facilities and when I was there I really did want to make a difference in just how they were treated um, and just making them
2: I guess a bit happier. And do you think you'll go into working with that age group? Personally I don't think so because
0: it's (laughs) a little bit depressing if I'm being honest. Mm. Um, Just it's also really sad because Um, especially because the aged care facility I went into a lot of the clientele were of Asian descent so it was sort of like seeing my grandparents in every one of those people and it's just it's really heartbreaking I don't think I could do it.
2: Mm.
1: And Natania, you were at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah well I've had um, different experiences as well over the past few years of on um, the like aged care facilities, like surgical wards or medical wards. Um, and I agree with Gabby, like being in aged care facilities, it is quite hard and like heartbreaking to see. I think it's really nice to be able to have those like conversations or to build that um, connection with some of them because you get to hear their stories, you get to hear about their life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is also heartbreaking because I guess you sort of know that um, they will be dying soon and they're here because they can't survive Mm. in a sense without that extra care from nurses
2: and yeah it's a hard place to be sometimes. Mm. I imagine and it's part of our all of our experience eventually I guess on some level. Yeah. know each other <laughs> uh, did you want me to go for it
0: all right um, so uh, we both went to St George girls high school um, Natanya is the in the year cohort year above me I think it was a year or two um, so that's where we met um, and then after that we ended up joining the ethical leaders club um that was started by andrew crosby um and yeah this was where i guess our
2: journey started with the ethical leaders club and natania can you tell me about the ethical leaders club
1: yeah so it was sort of a space um so i remember just there was like an announcement in our like roll call which is where we have where we just gather every day before the day starts and there was like an announcement like oh this is ethical leaders club that is starting up with st george girls and sydney technical high school which is our brother school and so it was like i'll oh, apply if you want to join this and i was like oh i have no idea what this is but it seems sort of fun and so i sort of went into it not really knowing what it was um but it was sort of just this space where we were able to so it was just like ranging from different ages I think I was in year 10 or 11 at that time and so it was just from year 9 to 12 um, we would meet together with a small group of others and with Andrew Crosby sort of leading discussion spaces or like activity spaces of us discussing ethical dilemmas or ethical conversations and to just really see what we thought and also help us even dig deeper into what we thought about different issues and topics
2: that were raised. And why ethical leaders and not just leaders?
0: If I remember correctly, in those sessions with Andrew, we were delving deep into what made a leader a good leader. And I guess ethics comes into play when it comes to leadership.
2: Yeah, fascinating. Do you think that that made you grow a lot through that period? I mean, imagine that there are people who go through life not ever having those experiences to to explore that. Yeah. Do you think that's something that's missing maybe or?
1: I think with this experience and just like my own personal experience of going through life and I'm someone that thinks very deeply and maybe overthinks a lot of the time, I think um, like with every strength, there is a weakness and every weakness, there is a strength within that and so I think in overthinking and overanalyzing and trying to really dig deep, it can be a good thing and a bad thing. And so I think it has helped me a lot in um, understanding myself more, in maturing, in understanding others. But then it also flips on me. And so sometimes I'll care too much about what others think or I'll try to like figure out an answer to something that doesn't really have an answer. So it's a bit of... A bit of a catch-22. Yeah.
2: Do you think there are more problems socially and just in the world today than there have been in previous historical times?
1: I don't think that there are more, but I think that we are more aware of them now.
2: And why do you think we're more aware of them now?
1: I think in recent years, we have learned that speaking up is actually really important and that we actually do have a voice and we don't need to just settle for what we see around us, um, especially if we don't think it's right. And so I think as we've progressed and as we've, I guess, yeah, progressed in society and technology and things like that, we are more equipped to have better understanding. So like we have more resources and we have more ability to access that resource of just like growing ourselves and in that, we also have more of a voice and more of a platform to speak up, let's say like with the online space um, and we can reach more people. And I, I think in that way, we've been able to hear what other people have to say more. And that can also help how we understand our own world um, as well as other people's worlds.
2: Yeah. Do you think that that is freeing or debilitating? I think it's a bit of both Um, because I know that
1: it can get really tiring to feel like there's so much going on where you can't, or it feels like you can't do that much about it. Um, I guess something that I've come across is like compassion fatigue, where you feel so much empathy for what is going on, but sometimes the issues may seem so out of reach that it feels like we can't do anything about it. But there are always small things that we can do even just educating ourselves or sharing what we are passionate about with those around us Um, I think that's always a really good place to start. What do you think Gabby? I completely
0: agree with Natanya Um, especially with issues such as the BLM movement when that was going on it was really (laughs) tiring in the sense that I guess not everyone can see why movements such as Black Lives Matter is important. Just things such as equality, why why that doesn't matter. I honestly don't understand as a young person why people wouldn't care about those matters. It was really hard for me to explain to my parents in a way that they can understand why these movements are important and why equality in general is important because they don't understand it. And the way they see it is if it doesn't affect me, I'm not going to, you know, voice out my opinions. If it doesn't affect me, why bother? But I had that realization when I was speaking to my parents that that generational gap and how we see equality and how we use our voice to represent people who don't necessarily have that platform or that voice, it's really important just to live in in a world where there is, no inequality, there is no this, that, this is better than that or that is better than this, based on someone's skin tone, based on someone's race, based on someone's gender, I feel like is important.
2: Why do you think those
0: inequalities exist? There are a lot of reasons why these inequalities exist and I guess it boils down to history <laughs> and how like things like colonialism and how Europeans took over other lands and countries that other Indigenous communities already have settled in um, and that sort of set a precedent when times have continued and these European settlers have um, taken advantage of people who don't necessarily have the resources
2: to build on that. I guess, yeah, coming back to that idea of equality and it's such a, a big issue today. Do you feel personal pressure to do something about that?
0: Personally, I think so, especially when you're on social media and there's, you know, these trending hashtags and people posting these news articles and um, political posts about things like the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm just going to bring that again as an example. Um, The Palestine conflicts, it, it really does give you that pressure, the peer pressure to join in and voice out those opinions because some people take it so personally and they go, Oh, if you don't support this movement or that movement, I don't respect you because these beliefs are so important to me. I guess also that can be it can be really damaging to someone's mental health to be forced into, you know, looking at these news articles when Personally, they themselves are struggling with what's already on their plate. So it's just, yeah, it's really difficult.
2: Natania, what about you? Do you feel personal responsibility for doing something about the challenges around us? Um, I think I definitely agree with what Gabby was
1: saying. Um, There does seem to be this pressure of if some issue comes up that is really big and that's just happening I sometimes do feel that pressure to need to be as educated as I can be on it. And I think sometimes that stresses me out. It's not that I don't care about it, but I think like what Gabby was saying, like there's so many things that I am dealing with on my own already, um, different things that I'm concerned about that can sometimes feel like it is overwhelming. And so I do find that sometimes I do need to take a step back from social media or some of these issues, even though I do care about them. Um, But to not have to feel a need to say something every single time, I think that's something that I've come to terms with for myself um, and that I think everyone can deal with things and the the things that come up for them in their own ways. Um, And so I don't think personally I would put that on anyone to need to voice things out it's like every single time and I know that for myself I'm believing that and trusting um, I guess myself as well with that process.
2: And if we broaden out from that idea do you feel that there is pressure today on your generation to fix the big problems in the world?
0: I think so just because of of course um, the present generation would always want a better future for future generations. And I guess that's just a cycle that's going to keep going. And <laughs> um, for us to undo the damage, such as environmental change, global warming, that's just one example of it. Going back to racial inequality, that's another one. Um, we as a present generation have, I wouldn't say more of a power, but with social media, we do have that quote-unquote responsibility to undo damage from the past generations.
2: It's a funny conundrum. I'm only just realising this now. But the older generations have the power, yet they are seemingly putting pressure on the younger generation to find the solution without giving them the power to do so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, actually, with... That's really funny that now that you've mentioned it, as a person from the younger generation, whenever we do try to make a change or voice out these opinions, we always get some sort of flack um, from the past generation saying, oh, back in my days, we wouldn't even care about these things. Why do you care about these things? And it's just, yeah, it's really hard to want to make these changes. But being attacked, (laughs) having these comments made from people of the older generation.
2: And who are those people? Are they family members or are they public or part of social media, people you know? Um,
0: Some of these are family members, um, but I guess I can see um, just from being on social media, some of the people who are in the older generation um, who don't want to change their beliefs or their ways. So.
2: Yeah, change is hard. Mm -hmm. In a similar area, just you mentioned mental health before and and managing all of that. Do you think mental health is a personal issue or a social issue?
1: Actually, I wanted to add a little bit to the past um, point that we were talking about as well. Um, I feel like I disagree in the sense that I don't think the older generation puts pressure on us to change things. I think they don't care and they are fine with the way that things are because it is working well enough. And yes, there could be improvements, but improving things is too hard. And so I think there's this tension with us as the younger generation where we see that things aren't working out and we want to change things, but it's so damn hard. Um, and so there's that push and pull between like the way that things are now and wanting better, but then also struggling to have a voice or have a say in changing things so I think it's just a tough spot to be in but I do think in that sense it is um sort of our responsibility if we are noticing things that need change um and I think similarly with mental health I think that's another um concern that is a tension point between different generations because I think um for the younger generation we've we're probably more equipped in understanding that mental health actually is something that affects us very deeply and it affects everyone and in saying that I believe it is both a personal issue and a social issue because it affects everyone whether you realize it or not Um, it's just like physical health we all have different illnesses different things that affect us even just like how our sleep affects us that, that affects everybody how we eat that affects everybody and I think the ways that we think the ways that our brains are wired that affects everybody in different ways and so I think it is something that everyone should think about and really care for um, even if it's just like having someone to talk to about it and to not have it be something that is taboo to not feel like they're alone or that they're weird because um, I think the more that I interact with people and I get to know people, I realise how much it is a shared struggle that we have um, in our society.
2: Yeah, I mean, right now we're seeing the Naomi Asakas and the Simone Biles really struggling at that peak end of their sporting careers and it's surprising, you know. You see it happened to one person, then two, then three and suddenly you go, ah, oh, it's a social issue. <laughs> Suddenly, you're going, oh, it's, it's at that level. And it, I don't know why it seems surprising. Of course, it seems completely normal for someone under that much pressure. They're 23 and 24, so they're young women, and and that's kind of a an interesting generational observation that they're, they're willing to stand up and say, not not me, and um and and I guess it was that thing of me thinking. I love seeing athletes do amazing things, you know, and I watched the Australian canoe lady because it's the first time they've had that C-class canoe or something and she got through and I was like watching it on the news in the morning with tears in my eyes. (laughs) Just the achievement is fantastic, but there's a a health cost and I guess what changes do we need to see happen so people can excel Mm. but in healthy ways?
1: I think we need to build a culture where we're okay to talk about these things to start voicing these issues and to I guess normalize um these things that seem so taboo even just like because for me I've had my own personal experiences with mental health and mental illness and I've learned that it's okay to talk about it and to share about it and to just be like yeah I'm just not having a great time and it's not I alienating it's not it doesn't make me someone weird or it doesn't make me someone that just sticks out but rather um, I've found that a lot of people relate and a lot of people realize that hey like it's okay to talk about it and being able to express that has been freeing Um, and I think even within the healthcare system as well um, from a nursing perspective I've seen how important it is to be well-versed mental health understanding because everyone that comes in whether they are coming in for a surgery um for an illness for a virus that they have they probably will have some elements of mental health that um needs caring for whether it's um to do with the relationships that they have with other people how other people can help care for them how they're feeling about their own illness um and i think it is so important to raise awareness about this and even um Yeah, just sharing that it's okay to not really know what's going on or it's okay to be completely anxious about your own experience. And so I think that's the first step, creating an open culture where we can talk about these things freely and understand that um, we're not in this alone.
2: Do you remember the first time that you did acknowledge it and say it out loud to somebody that you were struggling and how that felt?
1: It was completely scary. There were so many different questions and so many different fears that I had, even thoughts of like, am I overreacting? Is this just something that happens to everyone? And I'm just, I'm just taking it too severely or like too seriously. Um, But I think when I was able to realize that it wasn't just me overreacting and being able to voice that, it did feel very relieving. And I think every time you have that conversation with someone new, there is sometimes those feelings of, I don't know how this other person is going to take it or how they're going to respond. But the more that I talk about it, the more that I um, go through these experiences, I think the more comfortable I get and the more I realize that, yeah, like people might not respond that well or they might respond really well. But regardless, it's not on me and I can only do what I can to share about my own experience and how they take it is, up to them. And I just hope that they'll be able to grow from it or that, um, I can help them understand things better as well. And for their experiences with other people.
2: Mm. Yeah. It's a thing to learn, isn't it? To get past that barrier of being scared to, to share your feelings. I think we're not, well, I definitely wasn't raised to, to talk about my feelings too much. And I think I had a pretty, probably in, in the grand scheme of things, I had quite an open relationship with that from my parents. I remember my dad, I think I was crying at a television show and I was trying to hide my tears. And he said, why are you hiding your tears? You're crying. It's allowed, you know? And I thought, wow, that's, I remember being ashamed, and then going, yeah, that's true. Why would I be embarrassed? Even that little thing, I think was a very, very big moment in my life. Like even now I remember it and I probably was, you know, eight or something. Gabby, what about you? How can we find a way for people to excel but in a healthy way?
0: Um, I agree with Tanya. I think talking about it is very important to destigmatize, especially mental health issues. It's so prevalent these days with the younger generation. And I think with the older generation as well, I think it just wasn't talked about. And it becomes hard for people in the younger generation to talk about it to their parents or grandparents or whatever because as you said Leonie it was it's a taboo you know I feel like the older generation just didn't really have that experience that we do now that open conversation that that space um, to be able to talk about these things and honestly I personally think talking about it makes a big difference not only for I guess everyone else to destigmatize these things but personally as well, for someone to be able to talk about these mental health issues in a
2: safe space. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's difficult to know how to create that. But I guess, you know, like you say, amongst your friends, I guess there is, it's starting to happen that maybe it will just be one of those things that happens organically with a new generation. Do you think that's true? I think it's true. Being
0: from, in my experience, and I guess, Natanya, we came from a selective high school. It's, it's one of those topics that everyone knows about and experiences, but it's just really difficult to talk about it because you don't really know what perception is going to be like to whoever you talk to about. And that can be really daunting. But in a selective school environment, it's a very common
2: issue that most of the students face just from my personal experience. Maybe it, it will happen organically with the next generation to be more open about mental health issues. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely agree Um, in the sense that I feel like because there are things that we are learning now as a generation where um, like communicating is so important, talking about our feelings, even just being able to be like, hey, I'm not comfortable with this or I don't really feel like... Um, talking right now and it's like being okay with that I think then creates a culture where when we are parents and where we are able to raise our children hopefully we as a generation we we can do that better and I know because like our parents they did the best that they could with all that they knew but of course there were things that were lacking um, I think especially in the Asian culture where it's very common to not talk about feelings to not um, talk about if you're struggling um, to save face which is to just act like things are okay because if you're struggling then it means that you're weak or it means that you're not um, representing your family well and so in um, those ways where we have been able to learn that that is not the way to live um, hopefully we can then carry on to the next generation um, ways that are better um, where we can treat things differently and um, raise up another whole generation whether it's like even our friends who are younger than us Um, to be able to do things better and to communicate better and,
2: um, yeah, live healthier. How did you learn to say those things? Like, they're very specific things. I, you know, I know there's a lot around around the body and I can see my friends raising their kids definitely with, with language around how to talk to people about the body, your body, someone else's body. Um, but also talking about feelings, who, who encouraged you to do that? Where did you learn those things?
1: Hmm. I feel like it was because as I was growing up, it sort of didn't feel like things were working well in the sense where we like, let's say like not talking about things. I'm um, just shoving things under the rug. Um, and just slowly realizing that it's not working out. And I think in our generation, we all sort of felt with mental health, it's something that has to also be um, looked at from a bigger perspective, where let's say, I think, especially in healthcare, I think there needs to be more like funding or more um, education about how to treat um, people with mental illnesses, or even how to go about these conversations and so it's something that needs to be um, addressed, um, yeah, on a like institutional level or on a bigger scheme, which can be hard um, from our perspective or from the resources that we have, because we're only like one person and we're, let's say, like only like new graduates um, in the workforce. So it's it's a big big thing, I'd say. <laughs>
2: Is that something that you feel like you'd like to make a difference in that on that scale, even though you're just a graduate, as you said, is that in the future, is that some change you'd like to bring about?
1: Yes, um, I think it is something that I'm interested in. So I do want to go into mental health nursing um, because I think from my own perspective, I have gone through my own experiences, I have seen the shortcomings and I see that a lot of, let's say like health professionals or nurses don't understand this topic very much and I think because I do have a better understanding I want to go into that field and hopefully do what I can to um, even care for patients in the best way that I can and hopefully from there see where I can go with that um, further on down the track.
2: Yeah, so I guess you're saying the short term goal is to become a, a nurse in, in mental care. But what is beyond mm. that? If you were to think further down the track, mm. what what is that? If you're thinking it does have to be systemic, what, what, what change can you bring about in the future?
1: Uh, I think possibly getting to a place where um, I would have enough influence to implement um, different things, different initiatives that maybe allow us for more education for nurses maybe or even advocate more for what we can do better. Um, I guess that's a broad way of talking about it and even just like inviting people on that journey that are interested or even aren't interested and to even just let people think about it more that's something I do want to do Um, and I don't know how exactly that would look but yeah
2: sort of just want to see how it goes it's a great intention And Gabby, if there was one problem that you wanted to solve in the world, what would it be?
0: Oh, uh, that's a pretty heavy question. <laughs> um, wow, that is a very <laughs> heavy question. I dumped it on you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, There are a lot of things that need to be fixed (laughs) um okay it's really hard to i guess choose one because all of those problems are so equally they're so equally difficult to solve and just choosing one
1: i don't know
2: (laughs) what if you could have your top three for now
0: (laughs) top 3 I would pick
2: um,
0: economic equality um, access to free healthcare and number 3 would probably be tough question maybe Natanya can pitch one in (laughs) then you'll have 2
1: each that's fair enough okay Oh, goodness. It's hard to say because there's so many different things. Um, But I guess off the top of my head, it would definitely be like mental health. Um, Just having more advocacy for that and understanding, especially in our age where um, it feels like it's getting more and more prevalent um, as people get older. And even the people younger are having more mental health issues. And another issue might be, sort of similar to what Gabby said with the economic um, equality, but um, I guess poverty and reaching those in need that are so far less resourced than we are Um, and to be able to share that, share resources with those that need it the most. And do you think that's done through taxes or in other ways? I personally don't know which way is better. I think taxes are good. But I also don't know what is best because then even with taxes, you don't really know exactly what, um, let's say, governments are using them for. And so it's really hard to say. I think I would. it would be nice to say um, I'd want individuals who do have a lot of money to have on their conscience to share that um, in the ways that they believe is right. But you can't really decide that for people.
2: Yeah, it's sort of something in the culture, isn't it, maybe? I I always think that's interesting in America, that there seems to be a tendency towards philanthropy and every year people donate a certain amount of their wealth to different, even political causes or political parties. Doesn't really happen like that here so much.
0: Hmm. I think that might be because our tax system is a little bit more... um, (laughs) a little bit friendlier to those in the lower socioeconomic threshold where we have things such as Medicare, um, Centrelink. People in the US don't necessarily have those things. So that's probably, I guess, one of the reasons why philanthropy here in Australia isn't as, I guess, as big as it is in the US. And (laughs) probably a bit pessimistic of me to say this, but I do think that, you know, billionaires um, who do these type of of philanthropic donations, charities, scalars and all of that, it also has to do with how they want the public to perceive
2: them, if I'm being honest. (laughs) And there's a tax deduction too, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We're being very cynical now. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) So yeah, what what are you most looking forward to over the next 1 to 5 years? You you're you're sort of in the middle of your studies right now, aren't you? So you'll rather than trying to sound too cliché with where do you see yourself in 5 years, but what are you looking forward to? What's what's <laughs> exciting you about about the next near future?
0: Honestly, I think I'm just really excited to get my career started and see where my career takes me. At the moment, you know, I'm still Doing my studies, I've just transferred to another uni, so I've had to repeat my first year all over again. (laughs) So that's delayed my graduation for another year, but I think I'm just really excited to see where nursing takes me. Um, And I might not even stay in nursing, you know, I might just even be a stepping stone, but I'm just really excited to see where it takes me at this point. Have you got any ideas? (laughs) Um, My parents have pushed me towards studying in um, becoming a doctor, uh, very typical Asian parents. <laughs> um, but honestly, I'm not, I'm not 100% yet. Um, I might stay in nursing and explore the many avenues that nursing has to offer, the different specialties. So I'm probably going to go, I'm more leaning towards that
2: way for now. And Nathania, will you stay in, in nursing? Mm, yeah, so I'm... Does it feel like a stepping stone as well, though?
1: I'm not really the type to plan ahead. I think I'm the type of person to just see things as they come because I know life is so unexpected and I think I have a very pessimistic view on life. (laughs) And so I'm sort of just like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't happen. I just have to get used to it. And so um, with nursing, I think it's something that I do enjoy for the most part, but I also know that there are things I don't enjoy about it. And so I think... Like one good thing is that there's lots of different avenues and lots of different like areas within nursing itself. Um, like for example, different types of roles, like working inside a hospital, working at a GP center, um, educating. So like becoming a teacher within nursing, things like that. Um, I do see myself in nursing in the future, but I also don't know, um, I think, because I also have ADHD and so it's actually very hard for me to study. And so it's, I would love to do other things. Like I've considered paramedicine, um, even becoming a doctor, but I'm like, I really don't think I can do that. And I'm just, (laughs) I'm just seeing like, I'll see how it goes for now. Um, But I do really despise studying, but I do enjoy where um, it takes me in the practical sense. So for now,
2: we'll see how it goes. (laughs) Nice. One question I didn't ask earlier was, do you think we can fix these problems within the existing system or do we need to just start again? And I mean, there's no answer to it, really. There's no real easy answer, but I guess I have been thinking around, you know, the political, social, economic system. I mean, what would it even look like to start again? And is it feasible? I mean, I guess people have had revolutions, but gee where's like, how do you – can we edit out, G <laughs> I don't even say that <laughs> word. <laughs> um, how do we even start again? And is it feasible?
0: Uh, that honestly is a really good question. Um, I don't even know where to begin because I feel like revolutions <laughs> haven't exactly worked well um, just from a historical point of view. Um, I don't think they've worked very well at all in, you know, a society where we have these set standards and rules that have been in place for hundreds of years. Honestly, it'd probably look like a dystopian society if we did start all over again. It's just, where would you even begin? Who would you even, you know, look to for these kinds of changes? Like, it's, it's crazy to even start thinking about the possibilities. So... Yeah, I feel like if there is a change, it's going to have to be from someone who knows what they're doing, what they're talking about, and someone who's open to listening to people's opinions. And I honestly, at this point in time, I don't believe our political system has those kinds of things set up for the public to really express their opinions and for politicians to really listen and implement those changes.
2: Yeah, so I guess maybe you're alluding to this idea of that the people have more of a say in the daily running of things and that it would be a, a bigger democracy or or a more a truer sense of democracy. Is that what you're suggesting? Mm. Yes, yes. Has the ethical leader's experience impacted you in such a way that you feel like you can go into the future with greater skills and become who you want to become?
0: I feel like <laughs> It was so long ago that I barely remember really the nitty-gritty of what it was like. But from what I remember, um, when the Ethical Leaders Club basically um, finished up, I felt like I was more confident within myself to, you know, when it comes to situations that I have to really think about, it it made me, I guess, realise that my thoughts surrounding these situations are really important and your actions not only just affect yourself, they do affect other people too. So I guess I can say yes, that the Ethical Leaders Club has helped me out in the sense that I can become who I want to be and
2: confidently voice my thoughts. Natania, you said that you were not really wanting to think too far down the track and that it felt to me like you were needing to be flexible or just to be flexible enough to deal with what comes and to make the right choice in the right moment. Do you think that Ethical Leaders experience gave you that ability to navigate whatever comes your way?
1: I think with those later years in high school, I was already on that process of just trying to understand myself better and understand the world better. And I think it was really refreshing to have this space to, I guess, validate that and even to hear the experiences of other people and, um, yeah, have a space to have those um, intentional conversations about issues and even to grow my own capacity to think about these things. And I think it has helped in that sense. And it was just like part of that process, being able to share that with others is also
2: something that I'll appreciate, you know, for the rest of my life. So when you're both prime minister, will you implement that through the education system for everybody? <laughs> Honestly,
0: I think it takes a certain openness to be a part of Ethical Leaders Club. Um, before we joined, Andrew actually sent out an email questionnaire to everyone who was interested. And those email questionnaires sort of had us explain ourselves and I guess, who we look up to and why do you look up to these people? And I think having those questionnaires, I don't know, I guess you can say it effectively chooses who suits having that mindset that, you know, you kind of need to be to really understand why Ethical Leaders Club is, you know, why it was formed and the importance of it.
2: Yeah, do you think that everyone's, not everyone is a leader then?
0: Yeah, <laughs> 100%. I think some people shouldn't be leaders at all, <laughs> in my opinion. I won't ask names. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's hard to be a good leader that people look up to and people happily follow because not everyone is suited to be a leader. In a group of 10, if everyone's a leader, it just becomes chaos. Some people have to be leaders and some people just happen to be more suited to a follower
1: role. And that's just my personal opinion. What do you think, Natanya? I think I definitely agree. And I don't think it's a bad thing that not everyone is made out to be a leader. I think there are different strengths that everybody has. And um, some people are better leaders than others. And that's completely fine. Like if I were in a position where I didn't feel like I could lead adequately, I would rather not lead than to try to lead because I felt like I needed to. Um, and then just like cause a mess of things. I think everyone has different capacities and different um, characteristics that make them a good leader or a bad leader. And I think that's something that you need to, I guess, discover for yourself um, and I guess be integral with that as well so that you can, yeah, like love people best or work best with other people. What advice do you want
2: to give the older generations?
1: To have an open mind and to know that it's okay to realize that maybe the things that you thought were right are not actually right. And it's actually a good thing to admit that you are wrong. And it's, yeah, to be accepting of everyone and their opinions, but also be able to be open enough to grow and change and to not feel ashamed in that as well, like in that process of like realizing that maybe the ways that you were thinking were right weren't actually right. And it's completely okay. Gabby. I
0: just want to add on to that. I think I want the older generation to realize that it's never too late for change. And I think to be welcoming of change because change is good and change is important really in today's world. um, We are an ever changing society and being stuck in a certain mindset isn't exactly good it's not exactly a good thing. Yeah. I guess I also want to say that I think people should prioritize mental health more. You know, you can take it all in stride and say, ha ha ha, mental health day. Um, People are just, you know, taking a sick day because they're not bothered to go into work. But for some people, a mental health day is, you know, it's crucial for someone to reset and just have that day off just so that, They could feel better, you know. Um, What's the difference between a mental health day and, you know, a day where someone goes to the doctor because they're physically sick? You know, you can't discriminate between those things because they both affect someone. I think being open and prioritising mental health is really important in the workplace.
1: Mm. I also want to add that um, I think it's also okay to acknowledge that it is really hard and it can be really scary to realise that, You may be wrong and it's okay to feel that way. And it's okay if it feels uncomfortable in that process. I think discomfort is what helps us know that we are still growing because if we're just comfortable, then we can just get complacent and forget what really is important sometimes. And also the systems that we have, some of them have worked really well. And I do appreciate what people or the older generation have done for us and have paid for us. Um, and it's just a matter of building upon that. It's not saying that everything is completely trash. Like, it's never like that. But it just means that we can do better and it's okay to have some change. And
2: summing all of that up, is there anything else you want to say for this podcast?
1: Mm, I think for me, I will just say that life is just a continual learning process. And like, it's always good to be grateful for what you have in front of you, for the people around you. And and it's okay to want more as well, to want to keep growing. Um, mm. And yeah.
2: I have been really impressed and humbled by this conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thank you.
2: And I definitely really appreciate um, this space and like being able to talk about these things. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much. That's been great. It's been such a nice conversation.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Young People Giving Adults Advice. Keep listening to us on all the places you normally listen to us and make sure to give us a rave review on Apple Podcasts.
1: This was Put Together by march made collective.